All right, Matthew chapter 10. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. So quiet in here. Is it quiet? Yeah, you can talk if you want to talk a little bit. Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to read this. We're going to pray. It's amazing to gather together and sing songs together to the Lord. And yet when we read his word, the Lord speaks back to us. And these are the words of the Lord in Matthew chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there might be one in front of you. Tonight we're going to look at a lot of passages, so you might want to open a Bible at some point and start thumbing along with us, or else you might be lost. But let me read Matthew 10, verses 1 through 16. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. Don't get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, stay there for some... Whatever town or village you enter, stay there for some worthy person... Search there. Wow, there, there was my eyes went. Where, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter their home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Imagine a woman is sitting home on a Saturday morning trying to figure out how to navigate her weekend. Her father's passed away the last few days, and so she's trying to make arrangements for the funeral and wondering where the rest of her family is who isn't helping her with all that ordeal because she's also devoting her life to caring for her mother. Her mom moved into her house when her father first went to the hospital a few months ago, and her mom's been on a downward spiral as well, and now her mom's in the bedroom, not doing well. The doctor says there's only a few more days, maybe weeks to live. She's not responsive. She just sleeps all day, and so this woman is just here in her house at the kitchen table trying to figure out how to navigate all the medical stuff and all the funeral stuff and all the family stuff and the obituary stuff and keep her head above water as her bills pile up and her house gets messy and the dishes fill the sink and there's a knock at the front door. So she goes to check on who might be at her house. Maybe it's her sister to come and help her with the affairs, but it's not. It's these 12 high school kids, these boys that are standing there like smiling. Hey! Good morning. She's like, oh, good morning indeed. The boys say, ma'am, we are on a missions trip, and and we would love to come inside today and tell you about Jesus Christ. 
<laughs> She's like, okay, oh, that's nice. Not today, though. Not today. Today is not a good day for me to sit down and talk about these things. She says, I, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Thanks for coming by, but I got a lot on my plate. My mom is sick. And, and they said, well, hey, if your mom's sick, can we come in and pray for her? She's like, well, that's, no, thank you, but she's, she's been sleeping for days. She's not responsive. She's not even going to know you were there. And I said, well, we don't care. We're, we just want to come in and help, and, and we'd love to come in. And she looks around, and there's, like, boxes of medical supplies everywhere. Her house is trash. It's like, I do not want people in my house. I got so much going on, but they're so nice looking, right? She's like, okay, fine. Come on in. Come on in. Pray for my mom, but I got a lot going on. And so if you could just keep it quick and, and pray and go, I, I love what you're doing. It's a wonderful thing, but... Um, I don't have a lot of time today. I, I can't talk today. They said, that's okay, that's okay. So they go back, and she takes him to the room where her mom is laying, and she's just laying there sleeping peacefully. And, and these kids gather around her, and as high school kids do, they pray some awkward prayer. You know, God, uh, thank you for this nice lady who let us come into their, her house, and her mom is sick, and kind of fill in guided on the details. And, and the woman realizes, okay, these, this isn't a cult. These are nice kids. And so she kind of leaves them alone. She goes back to the table to look at the bills while they finish praying. And, and a few minutes later, the kids come out and they walk up to the kitchen and say, hey, thank you so much for the opportunity. Your mom is so nice. We just had a great chat with her. And she's like, excuse me? They said, well, hey, have a nice day. Uh, the kingdom of God is here. And they, they go out and she's like, wait, what? So she goes into the bedroom and her mom is like sitting there putting on her shoes saying, hey, honey, I got to get home. I got a lot to do today. And she's like, whoa, whoa, hey, what happened? She's like, well, these nice kids came and prayed for me and I'm better now. And so she runs to the front door and the kids are going up the driveway. She says, hey, what happened in there? And they said, well, we told you the kingdom of God is here. She's like, oh, okay, uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. No problem, ma'am. Have a nice day. And she says, I wish you would have been here Wednesday before my dad passed. And I said, well, where is he now? So, well, he's down at the mortuary getting ready for the viewing on Tuesday. And I said, well, that's fine. We'll go down there. We'll wake him up. Have a nice day. <laughs> right? That would be cool. That would be a cool thing to have happen to you. This is what happens in Matthew chapter 10. Did you notice that? Jesus grabs these 12 kids, right? These disciples. We picture the apostles like they're all 45 and scholars or something. It's a ragtag bunch of teenagers and early 20-somethings, right? We got Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. We've got Matthew the tax collector. We've got Peter, and he's kind of the leader of the deal, right? And, and yet there are these other people who just, just kind of get bound together. And Jesus said in Matthew 9, there are so many people with so many needs. I've been doing all of the ministry. Let's pray that God raises up workers. And, and then after saying that, he says, okay, now you guys are the workers. Now go and reach the people. He gives them authority to do a few things. He gives them authority to cast out demons and to heal every sickness and disease. And then he says, go to a town. Here's what you do. You knock on the door. You meet somebody, and if they're nice, they'll let you in. If they're not nice, if they kick you out of their town, you shake the dust off your sandals, and may God have mercy on their souls. But if they're nice, they'll let you in. And when you find someone who's sick, heal them. When you find someone who's demon-possessed, cast out the demon. If you encounter someone who's dead, raise them from the dead. And when you cast, find someone who's leprous, cleanse them. If you find someone who's blind, give them sight. You can do whatever you want. Go. And so they go on a really cool missions trip. And they do those very things. And I read Matthew chapter 10 and I wonder, is this what church is supposed to look like today? Like, wouldn't that be cool if we said, you know what, 6.13, let's cancel it next week. Let's just go to Eden and clear the place out, right? 
I went to every room and heal all the sick people. Let's go down to Deer Creek Mortuary and let's wake everybody up, right? <laughs> let's go under the overpasses. Let's find the people who are mumbling to themselves and saying crazy spiritual things. Let's cast out the demons and return them to their families, right? Let's, let's do these things. But there's a tension there, right? Because I don't feel like I can do these things. I don't really feel like I'm supposed to do these things. Like, I feel like it'd be inappropriate for me to walk into the mortuary and say, hey, I'd like to visit your morgue and wake some folks up because I don't feel like that's what God's calling me to do. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't feel like Matthew 10 is an instruction manual on how we're supposed to do church, but I'm not comfortable with Matthew 10 being like in the museum, you know, like, this is a cool story. It, it happened back in the day, but stuff like this just doesn't happen anymore. Like you read the Old Testament, you hear about Jonah or Moses. You think, this is awesome, right? Elijah calling down fire from heaven. You're like, that was rad. I wish I was there. I'm going to meet him someday and hear about it. But that kind of stuff, that was in the past. I feel weird making this an instruction manual, but I also feel weird making Matthew 10 a, something that just doesn't relate because it seems like it does. Jesus sends us, doesn't he? Jesus has told us similar things. I want you to go out and bring the gospel to us people. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and he sends us. So what do we do with this? Do we just admire it because it happened once? Do we try to live in it? Or is there something in between? It's interesting, when you look at this passage, it's very similar to another passage that is very familiar with us. What we're going to do this evening is we're going to start in Matthew 10. We're going to jump to some parallel passages where he commands us to do the same kinds of things. And then we're going to walk through the book of Acts and look at how the roles of miracles and healings and those things take part in the church. And we're going to land on what we should do to take part in the miraculous work of God that he has given us. Because Jesus told us in John 14 that he didn't tell us, he told his disciples, you will do greater things than you see me doing. Right? We picture Jesus doing amazing miracles, and he says, you guys, my church is going to do even greater things when my spirit arrives. Just wait. And, and that's where we live. We live in this place where we have the spirit. So how do we live in that is the question tonight. Matthew 10, Jesus does two things. If you want to take notes, you can take notes. Write down these verses, look them up later, or write down whatever you want. But if you want to take notes, two things Jesus does in Matthew chapter 10. He gives the disciples authority, and he sends them out preaching. He gives them authority and he sends them out preaching. He, he, I'll read it. Jesus called his 12. He gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then he sent them out and he said, as you go in verse 7, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. He gives them authority and he sends them out preaching. The reason I want to camp on that is because in Matthew 28, and you can jump ahead to that if you want to look at it, we're, going to, we're just going to go right tonight. So go to the right, Matthew 28. Jesus does something very similar with the disciples. And this is a passage that we would say applies to us, right? You might read Matthew 10 and say, you know what? That's not for us. It's just for the disciples, just for the apostles, not for us. Matthew 28, like we hang our hat on Matthew 28, and it's very similar, In verse 18 of Matthew 28, Jesus came to the disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
In Matthew 10, Jesus gives them authority and sends them out preaching. In Matthew 28, Jesus uses his authority to send them out preaching. You notice that? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. He uses his authority to send them out preaching. We notice that it's very similar to Matthew 10, but it's a little different. It's a little different. It doesn't say anything about demons in Matthew 28. It doesn't say anything about the exorcisms or the healing or the dead raising. He makes it sound like you're going to go and all you're going to do is preach the gospel. And so you can make a little argument that, okay, with the apostles, they would go out and do miraculous things. But now these days, we just go under the authority of Jesus and we just talk to people and we share the gospel, we disciple them. Except when you look at the other passages that parallel this, there's a lot of crazy demon and healing stuff in those passages. So I want to look at those too. Look at Mark chapter 16. Another very similar passage. This is where Jesus is reiterating in the book of Mark the same great commission. We'll look at verse 15. Tonight's one of those nights that if you have the Bible app, it'll be faster. But if you have pages, you can just hear them turning. It's pretty cool. Mark 16, 15. He said to them, Go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. Don't try that. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get Well, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Mark 6 looks more like Matthew 10 than Matthew 28 even does. Jesus brings the disciples to himself and says, okay, here's the Great Commission. Go and preach the gospel to every creature. And accompanying that ministry, I'm going to give you miraculous things that will confirm the message that you're preaching. Interesting, right? Jump to Acts chapter 1. This is what we see when the Holy Spirit shows up. Some of you are getting nervous tonight. That's okay. Acts chapter 1. Here's another reiteration of that great commission in a sense. This is before Jesus ascends into heaven. He's given kind of the marching orders to the apostles. They're asking him if this is the time when he's going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And in Acts 1-7, Jesus says to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. There's the authority word again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, here's some authority, go out preaching. Matthew 28 and Mark 16, he says, under my authority, go out preaching and do this crazy miracle stuff. And then in Acts chapter 1, he says, the authority of the Father is central. Now go and preach. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So tonight as we track the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, those of you taking notes, write this down. Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit gives the power to witness. The power to witness. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit shows up. All the believers are together and they're gathered in one place. And this mighty wind comes in and like the whole thing explodes. If you've ever read Acts 2, if you haven't read Acts 2, you should read it this week. 
everyone starts speaking in all of these languages they've never studied, and it makes this big commotion, and the people in the town hear what's going on, like a bomb exploded or something, and so they book it up the hill. They find the disciples, and they're all speaking in different languages, and they're like, are these guys drunk? And, and Peter stands up and says, no, no, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Uh, here's the deal. Uh, God said that in the last days he would pour out his spirit, and miraculous things would happen. And Peter shares the gospel about Jesus, and thousands of people get saved. What we see in Peter's ministry, as it starts to pick up, and you're going to write this down too, in Peter's ministry, we see miracles and preaching. Miracles and preaching, in that order. Peter, in Acts chapter 3, is walking with John up the temple steps, and they run across a man who was born without the ability to walk. And the man is asking them for money. And Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And the man stands up and walks, and he books it out of there, running and leaping and praising God. And it causes a commotion. And everyone's like, whoa, what just happened? And they gather around, and Peter gets up, and he preaches the gospel. Miracles, and then preaching. He preaches the gospel so much, it gets him thrown into jail. And then in Acts chapter 5, Peter is sitting in prison, and a miracle happens. All the gates of the prison swing open, and Peter books it out of prison, goes straight to the temple, and starts preaching. Miracles and preaching. Like Jesus said in Acts 1, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. The ministry of Peter is a ministry of miracles and preaching. Then Acts continues, and the mantle of leadership is handed off to a guy named Paul. And, and it's like this relay race where Peter hands him the baton, and then Paul books it to the ends of the earth through Acts 28. You watch the gospel getting all the way to Rome. And in Paul's ministry, it's very similar to Peter's ministry, but one thing has changed. Peter's ministry is marked by miracles and preaching. Paul's ministry is marked by preaching and miracles preaching and miracles. That's not just semantics. I said that in order on purpose. Preaching and miracles. In Peter's ministry, great miracles would happen. He would follow up the miracle and say, let me explain what just happened. Jesus died and rose again. You should believe in him. In Paul's ministry, he would lead with preaching, and then God would come back alongside of him later and confirm his message to these Gentiles or to these Jews, whoever he's talking to, with the working of miracles. We see that in Acts 14, verses 1 through 3. Why don't you turn there? It's to the right. Acts 14, 1 through 3. This is Paul in a city called Iconium. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned the minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Preaching and then miracles. If you watch Paul's journey continue in Acts 17 and Acts 18, he goes to a variety of other cities. He goes to Thessalonica and uh, he goes to Lystra. He goes to Berea. He goes to Athens. He goes to Corinth. And in those cities, we don't see any miracles. Paul just goes in and every city he preaches until he gets kicked out of a place. Then he brings the disciples around and he preaches there and he preaches and he preaches and he preaches and he preaches. And as Paul does his ministry, what is happening is he preaches the gospel and people are being transformed in those cities. And yet we keep reading as Paul gets into Ephesus and spends some time there that miracles are still happening in the midst of Paul and his companions. You can turn to Acts 19 to hear about Ephesus. 
This is verse 8. Paul spent a few years in Ephesus. This is kind of where he landed in ministry. And in verse 8, Luke writes, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. So miracles still exist in Paul's ministry, but the hallmark of his ministry was the preaching of the gospel. What we see as we transition through the book of Acts is that the primary work of the Holy Spirit moves from miracle-making to disciple-making. From miracle-making to disciple-making, that the role of miracles starts becoming subordinate to the role of preaching the gospel. And the primary work of the church by the end of the book of Acts is the preaching of and training in the gospel. The supernatural signs start to kind of fade away. And we read that and we think, that kind of (laughs) stinks. I don't want it to fade away. I like that stuff. I just feel like if I could do some miracles, people would believe in Jesus, you know. But if all we have is a message, you know, what's that? Can I tell someone about Jesus or can I like make a dragon appear in the air and then they'll believe in Jesus, right? We, we love the idea of miracles. Didn't Jesus say in John 14, you will do even greater things than me? It's interesting, when you do read that passage in John 14 and Jesus is saying that, you will do greater things than these He's probably talking about the miracles. You'll do something greater than you've seen me doing. I've raised the dead. I've healed the sick. I've cast out demons. I've done all that. You've done it. But just so you know, when the Holy Spirit arrives, you will do even greater things. And then he starts explaining what will happen when the Holy Spirit comes. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will convict the world in terms of sin and righteousness and judgment. He will draw people to himself. That's what the Spirit does. And when Jesus starts describing the greater things that will happen when the Holy Spirit ignites in this world, what he describes is people's hearts turning to the Lord and finding faith in Jesus through the gospel. The greater things Jesus describes is the gospel. He says the gospel is greater than miracles. A lot of times we say the gospel is kind of lame and the miracles are amazing. Jesus said the opposite. He said the greater things is when the Holy Spirit leads people into the truth. Isn't it kind of crazy when you think about what the gospel is? We kind of get ashamed of it. You know, like, if I could heal a sick person or a dead person, that would be awesome. All I've got is this message about Jesus, and I tell people about it. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. There's power in the gospel, and when you send the gospel out, it transforms lives. A miracle, it, miracle's cool. Like you heal someone from cancer or something, that's awesome. But it's temporary. Now someone's in bondage to this disease or bonded to this demonization or whatever, and they're, and they're released from that bondage, and, and, and it lasts as long as they're here on this earth, maybe, hopefully. But when you preach the gospel, and, and when the Holy Spirit uses those words to ignite someone's heart and turn them in faith towards Jesus, they're changed 
forever, forever, ever. Like, it's not just they were sick, and then they're, you know, you think of Lazarus in John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. You're like, whoa, that's amazing. And Lazarus is here back on the earth again, and then a few years later, he dies. Like, it was really cool for a little bit, but then he's dead again, right? It was temporary. But when Lazarus heard the gospel and believed in Jesus, his fate was changed for eternity. And that's what we do. Right? We, we go out into the world and we share the gospel. And when someone hears it and responds, they're changed forever. The bondage that they're in to sin is released forever. The death, the spiritual death they live in is changed forever. The life they receive is given forever. The gospel is like a miracle, but it's a miracle that's not just on this earth. It's a miracle that lasts forever. That's why Jesus says it's greater than any of these things. Because it transcends time, it transcends this world, the salvation that someone receives by responding to the gospel message, the power of God through the gospel, it changes everything for them forever. It changes generations forever. It's amazing. There's something beautiful about the gospel that that we lose when we just wish that we could do cooler things. I think if you really want to build a biblical definition of the role of miracles and all that kind of stuff and what the church is for, here's what I would say. I, I would say that as we look at these passages, we see that God wants to work through his church, through the preaching in, through the training in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every once in a while, God brings alongside beautiful things like healings and exorcisms and those things to, to solidify his message, to do something else amazing. But the primary work that God has given his church is the work of the gospel. And that's not just today, like, oh, where's the Holy Spirit gone? That's what happened in the Bible. By the end of Acts, the, the, the ministry of the church had turned from primarily miracles to primarily gospel, to primarily something better than miracles, the miracle of the gospel itself. Now here at our church, we, we see all that stuff. We have people come in and maybe they'll go to the prayer room or maybe they'll come and, and sit with our elders and we'll lay hands on them, we'll anoint them with oil, we'll, we'll, we'll pray for their healing, for their physical healing, and sometimes God does miracles. Or people come in and they're, they're sick, they've got cancer, and, and they go back to the doctor, and the doctor says, I don't know what happened, but your cancer's gone. They say, well, I know what happened. I went to church, and these people prayed for me. Now my cancer's gone. Remember last week, Erin was up here. She was talking a similar story that she went to the doctor, and the doctor said, there's a 90% chance that what's happening in your body is cancerous, and it's going to destroy you. And then she comes, and everyone prays, and then the next week, the doctor calls and says, I don't know how this happened, but it's not cancer. It's just it's nothing, right? Amazing. It's miraculous. We have people who come up and they're obviously demonized, right? They've got stuff going on in them and they're spouting out this weird spiritual stuff. And and whenever you talk about Jesus, they go crazy on you. And and we pray for those people. And sometimes they receive deliverance from these spirits that are binding them. And it's amazing to see physical and spiritual transformation in people's lives. It's great, But what's better is when people come here and they hear about Jesus and their life is changed for eternity. What's better is when people bring their friends here or when people go across the street and share the gospel with their friends and something happens where the Holy Spirit does a bigger and better miracle in them and their life is changed forever and ever and ever and they receive this new life that starts now and lasts forever. If if you've received the gospel and you get that, you know that's better. Like, it's great to be healed from cancer, obviously. But even if you're healed from cancer, you live another 30 years and then you die. But if you're healed from sin and you're healed from death and you're healed from the bondage of Satan and you're healed from the domain of darkness and you're rescued into the kingdom of God, that lasts forever. It's 
bigger and better and miraculous. And that's why when you read the Bible, we can read the book of Acts and be like, it's kind of a downer. Like it starts out cool, but then by the end, it's just like discipleship and stuff. But that's not how we're supposed to read the book of Acts. We're supposed to read the book of Acts and say, this just keeps getting better and better. Because at the beginning, they were doing these temporary miracles, but by the end, entire cities were being transformed by the gospel. And Paul is making a beeline to Rome and saying, I'm going to get this message to the end of the earth because the gospel is like a mustard seed that grows and takes over the whole field, right? It's amazing and it's growing and we're part of it. When you read Paul's letters, he's all about the amazing, miraculous nature of the ministry of the gospel. He says, we carry this treasure of the gospel in these jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not us. That the gospel is the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of it. I preach the gospel. He tells his disciples, preach the gospel in season, out of season. Rebuke, encourage with all the authority. Preach the gospel. It's the power of God. It's miraculous. I think we need to rediscover the miraculous nature of gospel ministry, of discipleship in the gospel, of going into a city. If we're going to go door to door, let's not go to the mortuary. They're already dead. Let's go to the hospital, sure, and knock on the doors and tell them about Jesus. Let's go down the street and knock on doors and tell people the gospel message. Let's go to work and tell our coworkers about the gospel because the gospel is where God does his primary biggest miracles. He transforms people from death to life. A few weeks ago, we had Daryl Wright here from Cuba. Remember that? He told the story about a guy who was an engineer. A, what was he, a genetic botany or something? Like he was doing crazy stuff and uh, don't know what he was doing. And uh, he was saved and he said, you know, I, I'm going to preach the gospel. And so he targets this city, this, this city. It was named for Che Guevara. And he said, I'm going to go into this dark city like the Nineveh of our region and I'm going to preach the gospel. And said, I'm going to go to every single household. Me and my team, we're going to knock on every single door of the hundreds of thousands of people who live in the city. And we're going to make sure that every household in this city hears the gospel. And when he first said that, I thought, like, there's probably more effective ways to do ministry than door-to-door evangelism. Like, that's lame, right? I would never want to do that. Is that going to work? Like, I would slam the door on someone's face. And I'm a Christian, right? I hate when people come to my door. Now, let's see. I'm confessing that now. Uh, and... And as he continues to tell the story, he says that as he went from door to door, some households rejected him, but some brought him in, heard the message, were saved, were moved from death to life, joined the movement, right? And now he's got this church in this dark city that's full of thousands of people who are worshiping Jesus because someone realized the gospel is powerful. We should just go tell people about it. Sometimes we're looking for like better ways and more effective ways and building relationships. The power is in the gospel. It's not in your relationship. The powers of the gospel is not in your words. Paul said, I didn't come to you with persuasive arguments. I had the gospel and the power is in the message. Just share it. Proclaim it. Shout it from the rooftops. It's miraculous power. Tonight we have an opportunity to receive the communion meal. And I really believe that communion is a beautiful thing that helps us to stay grounded. Because whether it's miracles or it's gospel work or whatever, like our temptation is just to like run out and and just do stuff for God, right? Like, God, I'm going to change the world. And and I believe that one of the reasons that Christ instituted this communion is to ground us and help us to remember, you know what? The secret is not you, (laughs) your effectiveness, your zeal, anything of that. The, 
The secret is me in you. And the night he was betrayed, Jesus took this bread and he broke it and he passed it around the table. He told his disciples, this, this is my body. This bread is my body, which is for you. Eat this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. Remember that I died to give you life. He took the cup of the new covenant and he passed it around and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Remember that my blood was poured out for your life. Tonight, as we come forward in a moment, we receive the communion elements and we eat them. Let's remember that the power is Christ in us. We were dead. We were far from him. We were walking in our trespasses and sins. And we heard the gospel and something came into our ears and our eyes and our hearts and changed us. It was from outside of us and it changed us. And now God has put something in us, his spirit in us, and he wants to use us to bring something out of us to tell the world about him. But it's all about him, not us. Like Paul said, I carry this treasure in jars of clay to show the all-surpassing power is from God. It's not from us. And so tonight, before we say, you know, let's go storm the gates of hell. Let's go knock on every door in Castorelli, whatever it is. (laughs) Let's come forward and say, you know what, Jesus, I need you. And Jesus, I'm a sinner, and and even though I'm a Christian, I wander from you. I need your forgiveness. I'm not allowed to get too far from your cross. I need to remember it every single week because I keep stumbling. And Jesus, even though I want to go out and change the world for you, I, I need to realize that my job is primarily to abide in you and to walk with you and to listen to you, not to run away from you to do great things for you. Let's let this communion meal tonight bind us to Christ cling to him, abide in him, and realize that life is in him.